0: Chapter nineteen of a King in Babylon This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ellen Preckle A King in Babylon by Burton Egbert Stevenson. Chapter nineteen It was Davis who recovered his senses first, who pushed Creel aside and flung himself through the hole into the darkness within. Creel was after him in an instant. Look out for my box, Digby, I cried, and plunged after Creel. I felt somehow that he was in danger, that he needed help, that he mustn't be left alone. I landed heavily, for the floor of the tomb seemed to be considerably below the level of the ground outside. It was of stone, as were the bare walls, over which Davis and Creel were sweeping the light from their torches. The same white limestone which had been used for the exterior walls, and laid in the same black bitumen. The chamber itself was some twelve or fifteen feet across, and roofed with great slabs of stone. One glance was enough to show that it was empty. The white walls flashing back the light would have made the smallest object visible. "'I told you so,' said Creel hoarsely. "'He isn't here. He's disappeared. It's witchcraft. It's—' "'Wait,' said Davis, and swept his torch over the walls more slowly. Then he stepped quickly to the wall opposite the entrance, and, to my astonishment, seemed to walk right through it and disappear. Before either of us could move, his head appeared again. "'Come on,' he said, and vanished. I could feel the shivers running up and down my spine as I followed Creel forward to the wall. He was right. It was witchcraft. Horrible, unclean witchcraft. And then I saw that it wasn't witchcraft, after all, for a section of the wall had been built some eighteen inches in front of the main wall, and behind this section gaped the black square opening of a stone-walled corridor. Seen from in front, the effect was that of a continuous wall, Davis, perhaps, was familiar with the artifice, and knew what to look for, but how Jimmy had discovered it, in the dark! Ahead of us, down the corridor, we could see Davis's light, sweeping from side to side, and we hurried after him. The passage was above five feet wide, by perhaps six high. I know my helmet scraped the roof, with a floor that sloped perceptibly downward, covered here and there with drifted sand. The walls were built of square blocks of the white limestone laid in bitumen, and were entirely bare of ornament. Davis told me afterward that it was forty-two feet long, but it seemed a mile that first time I traversed it. However, I dare say, it was only a minute later that we stood beside Davis at the entrance to another chamber, much larger than the first, its slabbed roof supported by four massive square columns of masonry, and between these columns in the center of the chamber stood what I took to be a great oblong block of granite, flashing back the light of the torches from its polished sides. It's the sarcophagus, said Davis hoarsely, and it's never been opened. Look! And he ran the light from his torch along a line of cement that held the lid in place. It had evidently never been disturbed. But where's Jimmy? Creel demanded. I must find that boy. He stopped abruptly, for there, at the head of the sarcophagus, brought into view as we stepped toward it, was Jimmy Allen. He was half crouching, half kneeling, with his head pillowed on the stone and his arms thrown forward across it and his eyes were closed. "'Jimmy!' called Creel, and then he stopped, and I knew that the same fear had gripped his heart which had gripped mine. "'It's only a faint,' said Davis reassuringly, and stepped forward. At that instant Jimmy's eyes unclosed, and he raised his head to look at us. Somehow it had on me the effect of a resurrection. I swear I could not have been more shocked if a corpse had raised its head and looked at us. "'Hello, fellows,' he said quite casually. Then he looked down at the block of granite against which he was leaning and around at the masonry columns, and finally he got slowly to his feet, with us watching him all the time, scarcely daring to breathe. Where the deuce are we? he asked. We're in a tomb, explained Creel, as gently as though he were speaking to a child. Come along, let's get out. But how did I get in? Jimmy demanded, still looking about him. I don't remember coming in. You climbed in through a hole out there while Billy filmed you. "'You remember that, surely?' "'Oh, yes,' said Jimmy, and then he shook his head in a puzzled way. "'But afterward? What happened afterward?' "'You just walked on in here, and we followed you,' Creel explained easily. "'You were a little done up by the heat, you remember. "'Come along out of here. This place is like an oven.' And for the first time I was conscious that it was like an oven, so close and stifling that the sweat had been running down my face, though I hadn't perceived it in the excitement." Davis explained afterward that all desert tombs were like that. The heat stored up in the sand never permitted them to cool off. But Jimmy didn't seem to notice the heat. He still stood staring around, and then he inclined an ear toward the rear wall and seemed to listen, and then his face suddenly cleared and he smiled slightly as though he remembered everything. All right, he said, turning to Creel, I'm ready to go. And without further question or comment, he followed Creel along the passage, across the outer room and through the hole into the open air. I went along, and I supposed Davis to be bringing up the rear, till I looked back and saw he wasn't there. Ma Creel welcomed Jimmy like a long-lost son, whom she had despaired of ever seeing again, and she and Molly, with Creel's approval, took him away to the tents, despite his protests that he was all right. In fact, he wouldn't go at all until Creel pointed out to him that it was too dark anyway to take any more pictures. As Creel and I were gathering up our things, Davis appeared at the entrance to the tomb and dismissed the laborers i'll want them here early in the morning he said to mustafa then he turned to creel and me i've found something interesting in there would you care to see it of course we would said creel come along then we stooped and scrambled after him down into the tomb and followed him along the passage into the inner chamber he led us up to the great granite sarcophagus and let the light from his torch play along the lid look there he said and i saw cut delicately into the stone the same symbol which had been cut on the door of the tomb the cartouche of secanian ray it has never been opened davis continued and again he ran his torch around the edge of the lid where the cement remained untouched and as hard as the stone itself unless i'm greatly mistaken we'll find the mummy case and the mummy inside just as they were left four thousand years ago and i'm hoping we'll also find an explanation of this mystery and he indicated the walls about us with a vague and troubled gesture what mystery creel demanded the mystery of these bare walls You'll notice that there's not a picture, not a trace of sculpture, and it's evident that there never has been. And he sent the light from his torch shimmering over the white stone. Yes, Creel agreed, that's evident enough. The only decorations I have found, and I've looked the place over pretty carefully, are this cartouche on the lid of the sarcophagus, and that symbol on the wall back yonder. And he threw the light against the wall at the back of the tomb. By a common impulse, we walked over to the wall, and I saw incised there, about five feet from the floor, a rude symbol which faintly resembled a snake, or perhaps two snakes intertwined. What does it mean? Creel asked. It's a symbol of warning, Davis explained. It looks like there was another door here, said Creel, who had been running his eyes over the wall. See? There's the arch, just like the one outside. Yes, Davis agreed. I think it is a door, and that that symbol is intended to warn people away from it. It was only used, he added, looking at it, where the warning was intended to be a very solemn and urgent one. No Egyptian would dare disregard it, for fear of giving mortal offence to the gods. Then there's probably something in there, Creel began. So I think, Davis broke in, I'll have the door open in a day or two, he added, and we'll see. Is that the mystery you were talking about? Creel inquired. No, said Davis, and cast the light from his torch about the chamber again. The mystery is the lack of decoration on these walls. I can't understand it what's so strange about that creel demanded the great central belief of the ancient egyptians was that after death a man's ka or double that is his spirit continued to live on davis explained so long as it had a body to shelter it and the things necessary to live with so the body was carefully mummified and placed in a massive indestructible tomb and often a portrait statue of the dead man would be placed in the tomb also for the spirit to take refuge in should the actual body crumble away The tomb was really the man's eternal dwelling-place, to which his spirit must always return from every excursion about the universe, and his house on earth was merely a sort of wayside inn, so unimportant that great monarchs contented themselves with houses of mud-brick, in order that they might lavish all their wealth upon their tombs and temples. You understand this is the roughest sort of outline. Yes, said Creel, words of one syllable. Go on every man took care of course that his tomb should be made as large and comfortable and impregnable as possible and that it should be completely furnished with food and furniture and utensils and servants and everything he could need in the way of clothing and ornaments not really you understand but painted or chiselled on the walls for the belief was that the spirit of the dead man possessed in reality everything depicted on the walls of his tomb and the more that was painted there the richer he was for eternity So in the tombs of the kings which were naturally the largest and most elaborate of any every sort of thing was painted for which the king while alive had any need not only that but his favorite occupations and amusements so that he could keep on doing for eternity what it had pleased him to do on earth but here is the tomb of a king and in it nothing i think i understand said Creole, looking around thoughtfully you mean that according to the ancient belief a man buried in a bare tomb like this would have no clothes nor food nor servants nor occupation precisely nodded davis in other words to use a modern phrase he'd be in hell a place of ceaseless torment and finally would come annihilation which the egyptians dreaded most of all creel ran his fingers through his hair somebody must have had a grudge against the he remarked my own idea is said davis that it was a self-inflicted punishment a sort of penance the most terrible a man could devise What makes you think that? demanded Creel, his eyes suddenly alight. A king always had his tomb prepared in advance, Davis explained, to make sure that it was satisfactory and properly commodious. In fact, that was about the most important thing he had to do on earth, to prepare his eternal dwelling, and he took a lot of pains with it. It took a hundred thousand men, thirty years, to build a tomb for Cheops, the great pyramid, you know, "'so this tomb was probably built according to the orders "'and under the supervision of Sekanyan "'Great,' said Creel, "'superb! "'And now why should he condemn himself to eternal torment?' "'I don't know,' and Davis combed his beard thoughtfully. "'But I hope to find a clue to the mystery inside the sarcophagus. "'There will be hieroglyphs on the coffin, and perhaps a papyrus inside it.' "'Look there!' Creel broke in suddenly. "'What is that?' "'And following his gesture and pointed light,' I saw half-concealed in a low niche in the farther corner what looked like a wooden box, some two feet square. "'That is the chest for the canopic jars,' Davis explained. "'The canopic jars?' "'Yes, for the viscera. They were always sealed up in jars and placed in the tomb with the body.' "'Hello,' he added, for just then his light went out. "'I thought that was a fresh battery.' And he pushed the button back and forth. "'But it's gone,' and he dropped the torch into his pocket.' "'I might make a guess at this mystery,' said Creel, after a moment. "'In fact, I have already guessed it, and I'm going to work it into my picture. "'But there's another mystery I can't explain. "'I can't even guess at.' "'What is that?' asked Davis. "'It's how that boy, Jimmy Allen, coming through that hole, "'into the darkness of the tomb, could find the narrow opening "'behind that masking wall, which I couldn't find even with an electric torch,' "'said Creel, in a voice muted by bewilderment. "'Furthermore, why should he come along that passage?' why should he have knelt at the head of this coffin how in the dark could he know it was the head and how on earth after he had knelt there could he lay his head down and go quietly to sleep there professor is a series of questions to which i invite an answer i'm afraid i can't answer them said davis quietly the whole affair is most singular they've got to be answered said creel savagely maybe he'll remember no i don't think he will broke in davis combing his beard thoughtfully my own idea is that it was a sort of sleep-walking or clairvoyance the heat had affected him he was nervous about crawling through that hole anybody could see that yes assented creel he just dragged himself through go on well perhaps when he dropped into the darkness of the tomb what with his nervousness and excitement instead of fainting as he had done before he passed into a sort of subconscious state and it was then that he stumbled upon the passage and came in here to the sarcophagus and knelt down and went to sleep I thought you said you couldn't explain it, said Creel. That isn't an explanation, retorted Davis, not a reasonable one, at least. It is based on some occult power nobody knows anything about, and which, to tell you the truth, I don't believe in when I'm out of Egypt. But there is something in the air here which makes it possible to believe almost anything. Yes, there is, agreed Creel slowly. Davis smiled at his expression. Don't look so glum, he said. It doesn't matter, does it? What can't be explained will have to go without explanation, that's all. It won't hurt anybody. I'm not so sure of that. It hasn't hurt anybody yet. How about Jimmy? He seemed more normal when he came out of that trance, or whatever it was, than he had been for a long time. That's what scares me, Creel declared. If he had waked up in a delirium, or if he hadn't waked at all, I wouldn't have been surprised. It would have seemed natural some way. But to have him look up and say, Hello, fellows! Why, I nearly fainted myself! It was startling, Davis agreed, but if he is all right again, I don't see what there is to worry about. That's just it, Creel pointed out. I don't believe he is all right again. But there's no use talking about it. We've just got to wait and see, and we'd better be getting out of here. It must be away past dinner time. Hullo! Look there, he added in another tone. He had swung around toward the passage, and the light from his torch flooded its entire length and beat dimly against the wall which blocked its entrance. Now, as I stared at it, It seemed to me that something stood before that wall, a vague shape, a weird shadow, and I had the impression that it was looking at us, looking at us placidly from empty sockets. And then I saw the light reflected on a burnished point like a jewel. "'There is something there,' Creel muttered to himself and started forward. And then his light went out, and I heard the torch rattle on the floor. The next instant his hand, groping madly, caught mine in a grip that crushed the flesh. "'Who is it?' gasped a voice in my ear. "'Creel's voice, almost unrecognizable. "'Is it you, Jimmy?' "'No,' I said. "'It's Billy Williams. "'For God's sake, what's the matter, Creel?' "'There's something here,' he breathed, "'and his grip tightened. "'Something! "'Something knocked that torch out of my hand. "'Let me hold you.' "'Stand still,' called Davis sharply. "'I'll find it.' "'That was a terrifying moment, "'with Creel clinging to me. "'Then the light flashed out again, "'and Davis stood there holding the torch, "'and its beam shot along the passage. "'We could see the wall quite clearly.' There was no shadow upon it. The thing, if it had ever really existed, had disappeared. Come on, said Davis, but Creel held me back for a whispered word. Let Davis think I dropped the torch, he said. I'm ashamed I went to pieces like that. And together, in troubled silence, we followed Davis out of the tomb. End of chapter 19